everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. It is Media Roundtable Week, and we have the uh, two regulars, or most regulars, of this t- roundtable. That would be John O'Ran, the fine sports media reporter for Sports Business Daily and Journal, and Chad Finn, the fine sports media reporter for the Boston Globe. But Chad isn't just a sports media reporter. You can also catch him writing about the Patriots and other stuff. John and Chad, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Always good to be here, Richard. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Yeah, I would say, by the way, that was for me, honestly, that was a C-minus intro. I've done a lot better, and uh, and I apologize. You need to get the energy up, man. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to, I'll try to, I'll get excited right now. You know what I'm excited about, John? That would be Chad Finn's Monday Night Football column. My God, did uh, <laughs> he steamroll Jason Witten. Uh, in that piece, and I think Monday Night Football executives to a point. So, Chad, I want to start with this. And There's been a lot of discussion about Monday Night Football's booth. Uh, we have discussed it on this podcast uh, many times. But for the listeners out there, uh, just sort of restate your thesis and what you wrote this week, because certainly in sports media circles it got some attention. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think all of us have heard the, the loud feedback on Monday Night Football and, and this uh, this first-year booth that they have with Joe Tessitore, Witten, and uh, Booger McFarlane, and I don't know what percentage of it's been positive for you guys, but I put it at about 2% for me in terms of people liking this this booth, and, you know, we all know that one of the sports, uh, especially on social media for fans nowadays, is to complain about the broadcast team, no matter who it is, uh, whether it's Michaels and Collinsworth or Nansen Romo or whoever, but I've never really heard the noise like I have for this one uh, so consistently. And so over the last couple of weeks, uh, probably the last four Monday night games uh, since uh, since baseball season wrapped up, I really focused on sitting down, watching it, listening to them beginning to end. And it kind of dawned on me this week that it's getting worse, that uh, Jason Witten, who, who is uh, fresh off the field, a great 15-year future Hall of Fame tight end for the Cowboys, uh, brought him into the booth this year, and you'd expect an office like that to get better. It's not happening. And so I wrote the column saying, you know, he's the biggest issue here, whether you have a problem with Joe Testator, whether you have a problem with Booker McFarland and that goofy machine he's on on the sideline. The real issue is that Witten doesn't add anything to the broadcast, and so it puts an extra burden on the other two guys. Uh, feedback to that was um, it was either probably 50-50, people either agreeing with me or saying, well, you're wrong. He's going to get better. It's Tessator who sucks, or it's Booger who sucks. But um, again, the, the the positive response to that broadcast team has been in the low single digits in terms of what I've heard from people. And I'm I'm curious if it's been the same for you. Yeah, John, I'll go to you, and then I'll um, and then I'll respond to Chad. What what has what has been the feedback in your circles about the Monday Night Football booth? Uh, the feedback is that uh, in, my, in my circles, which is as you know, sports business reporter, sports media reporter, is that uh, Monday Night Football ratings are up eight uh, percent after dropping the past two, and so they have they feel that they have a booth that, while there there has certainly been a lot of uh, criticism about the booth, and they hear the criticism, and they're working to sort of try to mitigate the criticism. Ad sales are happy. Ratings are happy. Marketers are happy. Everybody's happy at ESPN about this Monday Night Football booth. They just they wish that the criticism would uh, die down a little bit. But Chad, can I ask you a quick process question? 
Did sure. you uh, did did you uh, DVR these games and like listen to them later, or is, is this based on live viewing? A little bit of both. Um, live viewing um, almost all the time, but you know when you're watching things live and your your family's around, you, you tend to miss things. So I'd usually go back and try to watch over the parts that uh, you know that I knew I wasn't paying full attention. And then when you write the story, I mean, it it, it came like a bomb in my Twitter feed. <laughs> Did uh, did did, uh, did ESPN know that this was coming, or did they they find out just as I did as well? Uh, they probably found out that way. I mean, I had had some conversations with PR there before that about um, Twitter and some responses uh, in real time during the live broadcast of stuff that I was hearing. I think I had one of those similar sad, but it was particularly snarky about the you know uh, something Witten had said on the broadcast, and I heard some. Heard from the usual people at ESPN who would speak up on these sort of things, and people that I respect generally. But uh, you know, I realized that uh, as we were going there, that uh, that it was something that needed to be written about and something that needed to be addressed. Because frankly, ESPN put themselves in this position where people would have backlash to it. You look back at what Jay Rothman said, and I touched on this in the column, director of the show. I mean, they, they were comparing Testator to a Sinatra Musburger combo. Uh, I can't remember what it was for Witten. <laughs> Captain America, I think it was. And, you know, Booger's the Charles Barkley of the NFL. And that is, they, they say they didn't have huge expectations now for this booth. They wanted them to get acclimated. But you know, that's a hell of a burden to put on three guys coming into this who had never worked together before. And if you compare that to the PR strategy that CBS employed around uh, Tony Romo a year earlier, I mean, I, I think each one of us, was bombarding Jen Sapatel with requests to, to interview right. uh, Romo, and none of us could. They they kept him sort of, sort of off limits to to the press, other than sort of at, at their preseason like you know um, um, luncheon that they have media day thing. Yeah, John, I, I have some thoughts on all this, but at this point, will you concede that um, when you chastised me for saying that ESPN would was going to go out and try to make wit more available to soften the criticism and you you hand wave me like Mike Francesa, and then what did we see shortly? <laughs> what did we shortly see afterwards? We saw a lot of press for Jason Witten, did we not? Yeah, Mike we Francesa, did. I will never admit to being wrong. Richard. <laughs> never will I admit that. <laughs> so I just want to say a couple a, a couple quick things on um on Chad's piece. Um, Chad, like you, um, the feedback in my feed has almost been overwhelmingly negative. I will say, and it's a fair caveat. Generally speaking, when it comes, you're rarer are the people who come out and say, "Wow, you know this 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 team was great," or "This broadcaster was great." It's always sort of uh, tends or leads towards negative. Negative sells better. That's sort of just the reality of the of the world. We yeah, everyone very, hates everything on the internet. Yeah, very much a reality of social media, and particularly Twitter. That said. This is where I think ESPN should face criticism. Everything John said is correct, by the way. I mean, Monday Night Football's numbers are up, and they're definitely going to be happy about that. I did a piece today with Anthony Krupe and Austin Karp of Sports Business Daily. Krupe says, John, I think the numbers are uh, a little closer. He thinks they're closer to 6% up than 8 but whatever. Uh, um, you know, Monday Night Football's up, and, and that's a great story for them because if you're up, you're up. But here's where I would say I think ESPN um, – there's the criticism here is fair you um if you're going to play somebody into your top team into an eight chair and to me there are four eight chairs you know collinsworth aikman uh tony romo and jason witten 
you can't miss, in my opinion, in that hire because it, it's not a training ground. It's it's the show. It's Monday Night Football. It has to be great. And I think what's been very clear is Witten is not ready for that chair. I'm not sure he ever, honestly, Chad, will be ready. Um, you know, that's not to knock him. And he certainly will be good enough to be a broadcaster somewhere. But so far, at least, I haven't seen anything that makes me think this guy's going to be transformational or revolutionary the way I feel like Romo is. Um, someone who's really going to educate me on the game the way I feel like Aikman and Collinsworth do. So I think that's yeah. fair criticism for them is that – you know, there were people out there, and I was somebody who flag-waved and banged the drum for Lewis Riddick, who I think is far and away their best analyst, and I think one of the best NFL analysts out there, who I think would be great and honest and not sort of kowtowing to the NFL all the time. Kurt Warner, I think, would have been a great pick. He's done great work on Westwood One. Again, really terrific listen and smart. But I do think there—and, John, you, you're welcome to jump in after I'm done here. Like, I think they obviously wanted—they they were— they were trying for their own Romo. Whether they've admitted that or not, that is the case. They wanted that. They wanted to come in and hit a home run because I think they saw what happened with CBS. And I think they went for an archetype more than somebody mm-hmm. who, who really would be good on air game one. And so that's, to me, the, the big issue with the Monday Football booth. I, I'm not, I think Booger's pretty good, actually. I'm nowhere near as bothered by Tessator as others are, although no doubt in my feed he's gotten a lot of criticism. But I think... Yeah. The booth in the end is about the the top analyst. That's what that broadcast. These broadcasts are generally all about the number one analyst, and Jason Witten is just not an A analyst right now. And honestly, I'm not sure he ever will be. Well, you, you also have to take a look at, at Tony Romo, and it was so unusual to put somebody in the top chair that had no broadcasting experience like CBS did. I mean, it, yep. it, 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 in fact, it's almost I I can't think of another time that it's happened in the top booth. And you, you mentioned Collinsworth. He had reps at Notre Dame uh, for NBC on studio shows. He was at the B team on Fox. You know, he, yep. he's been all over the place to, to get to that level. Um, you mentioned Aikman. He didn't start up uh, as no, he as, did not the, the number one analyst. You know, he got yep. his reps, and and you know, I think that he, you know when he first started, you know, he, he was a lot like like Whitten. He just kind of like was tra- trying to feel his way, but he did it in relative anonymity. Uh, and I think I think that is. Part of part of the issues right now with with Whitman is just, just and Chad I thought uh, described this well in, in in the column it's just this ball of momentum that started bad the negative reviews started coming in I think that his his answers to this are, are you know he's showing a sense of humor and, and stuff but it's it's just so hard to get away from those first impressions. The one criticism Chad that I've heard about Tessator and again I'm someone who thinks I think Joe Tessator is an excellent broadcaster I love them on college football is one of the best guys I've heard on college football. So I'm not going to change my opinion on him, even though this is not uh, this first Monday night football journey has not been particularly smooth. Um, the one issue, at least in my feed that I've heard from, I'm not just talking about trolls. I'm talking about people who I think are trying to at least be thoughtful is the tendency to sort of oversell everything and like yeah. every sort of touchdown and, and everything feels sort of too big. Um, and, you know, that would then lead, I guess, a little bit to like, you know, and it's, you know, the, 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 the Phil Mushnick is someone sort of famous for always sort of blasting the Brent Musburgers of the world for overhyping everything. And I don't think Tessator's doing it because he wants to get in favor of the NFL. But I, but I, but I don't think that's an unfair criticism. And sometimes it does feel, um, it does feel Joe Tess is sort of, um, 
I don't want to say sort of calling a college game, but 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 it does feel that sort of every touchdown feels like it's the biggest touchdown of the year. And that's where I've seen some of the criticism. That said, you don't want to take a guy's style away and test that style was phenomenal for college football. So it's a it's a tricky one. If I was ESPN, I wouldn't want to screw with my play by play announcer. You gotta let him figure it out too with a new booth. Um I also think, Chad, that if Witten was better, I think some of that criticism of Tessator would not be there as well. Because I think you'd be so focused on the analyst chair's commentary as opposed to sort of maybe hyper focusing on everything going on in the booth. Yeah, it's interesting to test the tour because, you know, maybe he's new to people who are strictly NFL fans. And I'm more than that than, yeah, than a college football fan by far. I pay much more attention to professional league. Uh, but you look uh, as a media reporter, and you know he has a really strong body of work for 20-plus years as a college football play-by-play voice. And, you know, he got that had that knack for calling really uh, – exciting, interesting, out-of-nowhere games. And I think if you ask people who are college football fans more, they would speak really highly of him. I, I just right. think he, there's some newness of him to the NFL audience. Um, but he does overhype things. I, I didn't need to be told a half dozen times during that Chiefs-Rams game that it was an all-time classic. We could look at the scoreboard or watch it for five minutes and know that ourselves. Just call a great game and, and don't try to convince us that uh, it's either what we already know that it's a great game or try to convince us that it's even bigger than it actually is, which he does sometimes with other games. But you're absolutely right. If he had a little bit more, uh, you know, if he didn't have to kind of carry the analysts like he does and also have to navigate that back and forth between Witten and McFarlane on the sideline like he does, uh, maybe he would temper it down a little bit. But in terms of the whole thing, the one big mystery to me and I think I mentioned this in the column was they raved about Witten's audition and I would love to know what they heard because Kurt Warner is really good on, uh, you know, on the Westwood one broadcast with Kevin Harlan, really good, really engaging, friendly guy, uh, articulate everything you'd want in this role. And he's a hall of fame player on top of it. It seems like somebody would have been really appealing to them. Um, Witten just hasn't gotten better so far to 10, 11 weeks into this. And, you wonder what they heard right off the bat that made them think this is a guy that we can uh, we can shape into a star. This is the personality that we want because it still hasn't clicked and come through on the air, and I don't know if it ever will. John, one last thing for you, and then we'll move on to the uh, to uh, Turner pay per view Tiger Phil, and that would be this. Um, I was so I was dead wrong um, last year. I thought ESPN was going to hold on to Sean McDonough. I remember actually. Um, Stephanie Drulli, a very high-level executive yeah. at ESPN, saying she didn't expect changes, and then they change. You know, television, sports television executives um, are in the business of changing their mind because things happen and people become available. So, you know, my track record on this isn't great. That said, if I had to predict, John, I'm going to predict that they're not going to change the booth. I, I think the booth next year is going to be Joe Tessitore, Jason Witten, and Booger McFarland. And I think, I almost think, and this is where I want to get your take, John, is I almost think part of that decision is going to be not to allow the chorus of of negative reviews of this booth to dictate them into a decision. Now, again, I will say I believe for the audience, if you switched Lewis Riddick or Kurt Warner in for Witten, it would be a better booth next year. But I don't see them doing that at all. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. The only thing I, I could possibly see is uh, is taking uh, McFarlane and putting him up in, in the booth instead of down down on the sidelines. I, I think right. that you might see certain tweaks like that, 
but I'd expect those three to, to, to go forward. But let me say something just in, in defense of uh, in defense of Joe Tess. Uh, I think it's a valid criticism. You know, oh, that's a three yard rush. But uh, I don't I don't get the sense that that he's that, that it's contrived. I get the sense that he's really energized and excited. I like it, it kind of registers with me. He's, he's not bored by by sitting in the booth. I think he thinks it, it comes through the TV to me that he thinks he has the best job in the world, just sitting there calling games. And I, I, so, so I, I think that there's a certain excitement that I think that uh, plays pretty well, uh, at least in my household. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't think it's contrived at all or disingenuous uh, by any means. I think that is who Joe Testor is. The, the real question would be for those who are bothered by that is, is it too much for an NFL broadcast? But I agree with you. I don't, this is not, um, this is not a dude who's sort of hyping just for the, for the sake of hyping or, you know, or, or, you know, there's enough Bayless's out there who fake stuff every day. It doesn't have to, that's not Joe Tessitore. Um, all right, let's, let's move to, um, Tiger versus Phil, the match. I imagine you guys were glued to your sets on Friday <laughs> watching all these holes. Well, you sound so like, old glued to your set. It was a streaming, yeah. uh, streaming uh, glued to your glued to your glued to your Roku. <laughs> um, so John, I want to start with you because this is like, to me, the most interesting thing about this, obviously sort of the business end of this. And as we now tape this a couple of days later, um, as people, at least in the business know, Turner and other cable company satellites had to re or decided to refund the pay-per-view fee because there were, um, places, including on BR Live, where there were streaming issues for the consumers who paid. So everybody got refunded the 1999. So in terms of sort of the economics of it, it's probably fair to say this is a, this was a economic disaster. The big question, John, is, is it an overall disaster? Because there were some learnings and some findings found. They were at least able, at least if you're Turner, to see how BR could handle a very big production, and they were able to put, if nothing else, they did put it together. The thing did exist, but, um, but you know, to give the money back, um, to get that kind of bad feedback, that's, that is not what David Levy had in mind. You did a lot of reporting on this. How did you see it um, after the fact? Yeah, before the fact, uh, Turner always sort of viewed this almost as a test. I mean, they, they paid an enormous rights fee to get it, and they, they, they uh, put it on pay-per-view and they had an expectation to get a certain number of pay-per-view buys in there to help mitigate the, the, the cost of it. Um, so in that respect, it's a, it's a complete disaster. I mean, it's, uh, they, 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 they won't be able to recoup that rights fee and it, uh, you know, just not being able to charge pay-per-view or even really see how many pay-per-view buys they, they were going to get out of this is uh you know it's nothing short of a disaster they did however learn a lot of things uh, I, I think that you know uh, one of the things they talked about is you know they're really going to reimagine how to produce a golf a golf event and i think that they did that in in a really cool way i think that uh you know miking up the players get, getting their conversations going having a, just a you know a skins type you know man-to-man competition in there is something that they can they can do moving forward. I think the having them bet as much as they were betting, even if it uh, th- th- there's expectation that was play money, but you know that that was money that that they weren't going to be able to take home uh, to a certain extent. And and uh, 
also made me laugh. They were called challenges, not bets. You know, so so the PGA <laughs> Tour still sort of came in and said, you can't call it, you can't call that a, a bet. It's a challenge. But you could see as as gambling uh, becomes legalized in more places, you can see where sports um, um, productions are headed. And I, I just, you know, I think it was a, a, a really cool event. Um, uh, financially, I think it's a disaster, uh, but it's not a it's not a disaster that's going to cripple anybody. It was it was, it was a kind of a one off event. We'll see what happens going forward. John, before I get to Chad, I didn't see the event, so you did. It, how seamless do you think, in terms of the production, will it be for people at home to be able to, if they obviously have their set top or phone set up, how easy will it be to be able to do real time um, betting? Uh, because that's sort of the holy grail for all this, obviously, is like, for instance, before the ninth hole, theoretically, someone at home should be able to bet somewhere what either Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson do on that hole. So when you're watching the production, did you get a sense that of, that that's where all this is heading or that that could be seamless between the graphics, the infrastructure and all that stuff? Well, that is where all this is heading. I didn't get a sense of that from the production, really, from the from the production, you were able to get like real time odds on sort of who who was uh, most likely to win that a uh, particular hole, who was most likely to get closer to the pin, uh, right? Or, or uh, you know things along those lines. Um, but certainly, I mean that's that's all part of this. Once once uh, everything becomes legalized, they're expecting that I can say like, oh, you know what? I'll put five dollars on on Phil to win this hole, um, and and that's found money for, for all these networks, for all these leagues. And they're that they, they are so interested to figure out how they can profit off that and how they can make it so that, to, so that I'm more likely to, uh, to, to place a, a, a wager on, you know, uh, to, a, a wager on more than who wins a match or who wins a game, but on, on various things that happen during the game, who's going to make this foul shot. Who's going to, you know, is, is he going to miss his field goal or make the field goal? Right, Chad. One I, again. Um, I, I talked before the uh, before the match happened. I talked to five pretty prominent national golf writers, and most of those guys said that they did not they did not think this could work unless Tiger was involved. Like they, they weren't necessarily buying the idea of a of pay per view golf. Um, it seemed like you could do pay per view Tiger, but not pay per view golf. What um, I don't know if you watched this thing, but what, what's your what's your impressions of like could this work? Um, with other golfers, could this work as a golf concept, or do you think it all revolves around Tiger, and that's the reason it even existed? It felt like to me they kind of opened their NFL season with the Super Bowl. You know that they uh, they had the best possible matchup for this, so the most appealing most appealing matchup uh, that they could have in terms of a long term rivalry between those two guys. And you know, Phil's a charismatic talker, and and Tiger's Tiger, so. I don't know what match number two would be. Would it be, have to be Tiger against somebody else, uh, uh, Rory McIlroy, or I don't know somebody like that? But I don't see a anything that they could come up with that is close to the appeal of this, unless it's just strictly for the gamblers. If you if you love to bet on golf or you you love the concept of this and enjoy being able to bet hole by hole or whatever, then you might tune in for lesser golfers or, or, or lesser uh, you know lesser personalities, but. To me, they're going to have a hard time topping this one in, in terms of um, just the people that they had involved. And, they, you know, they worked some bugs out in the production. I think they hoped that uh, Tiger would be a little bit more into the banter than he was for the most part. But, 
maybe they revisit this pairing down the road, but I don't see it, uh, another pairing that uh, comes close to this one that they 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 could uh, they could market as well. Yeah, Richard, that's a, that's the whole problem with uh, with golf in total is you know that the whole tiger tiger thing. But I think that you Still, know if you take it's a amazing. Look at- I know, and he's how how old is he now? He's over forty, right? Yeah. And uh, yep. but if you take a look, there's still some young golfers that are out there. You know, Dustin Johnson or, or Jordan Spieth that 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 are starting to to uh, catch a little bit of fire. You have like you know the old guard versus the young guard, and and you do it you know, a two on two version that that, that like scramble that. or something. Uh, you have. Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson against Rory McIlroy and, and uh, give me another European golfer, you know, and then, and then you have sort of a mini Ryder cup, uh, you know, ha- happening there. I think there, there are, there are ways that you can do this that, you know, ti- look, Tiger is Tiger and, and, and he crosses over to, you know, general sports fans, non-golf fans, everybody knows who he is, but there are still ways that, that you can, you can have something similar to this to where it would be profitable, I would think. Last one for me was that one of the things I just saw from people who write about this stuff and who reviewed the broadcast said that maybe too many announcers, and that would be one maybe if you're going to do this again, you sort of dial back on the number of people um, talking during the event because you wanted to hear the golfers more than the announcers. Did you feel like that was a justified criticism, or did that not bother you guys as much? Well, the one that was great was that they they had sort of – I liked most when they had the non-golf announcers. They had uh, Barkley and um, um, oh God, who, who was it? The, the guy that starts in the commercials with Barkley, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel Jackson, and they were hilarious. They were great. I thought on, on it. So, you, it, like, I mean, this isn't this isn't the Masters on Sunday. This is this is a, <laughs> a gimmick. This is a gimmick, and you should have fun with it. And I thought that they 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 kind of did it well. All right, nice. All right, let's uh, let's go to NFL ratings. Um, and that's something I uh, wrote about this week for the athletic, uh, with, uh, Anthony Krupe, as I mentioned earlier, and Austin Karp, two of the foremost experts on this stuff in the country. And what's very clear, I'll start with you, Chad, is that, um, this is a great year for the NFL. I mean, unless something unforeseen happens, they're going to be up pretty nicely for the year. I don't think many of us expected that individual networks are going to have some great stories. Uh, one of the things that both Krupe and Carp pointed to, and I think it's very, very clear, is the um, offensive explosion in the NFL and the um, the number of close games. But for the most part, what, what the league has gotten with whether rule changes or anything else is they've gotten into a little bit of a video game style league this year. And, uh, and it seems clear that that's, that's a very big reason for the ratings to be up. There's been some very good matchups. Some young quarterbacks have emerged, which is great for the league. Um, the Cowboys are still on the hunt, which is always important, obviously, for the NFL as well. You know, same with the Packers and the Patriots. But um, it's a really good story so far. And I don't expect, I don't I don't think it's going to go down, um, you know, for the rest of the year. I, I also, I don't think it's politically based. It's sort of, you know, yeah, we haven't had to heard a lot about the anthem talk, but um, I think where you, when you can end up pointing to this is, I think competitively, it's better. It's a better visual game right now, and that's ultimately what television wants. Yeah, it's what the arena league was always supposed to be, right? Except you don't have <laughs> little walls along the sidelines for the players to run into. It, 
I mean, it feels inauthentic to me a little bit. You know, that 54-51 game was fantastic. But uh, if you're someone who grew up watching the Steel Curtain or the 85 Bears or Parcells, the Giants teams or whatever, you're probably missing uh, seeing defenses like that. And the, 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 that seems to be gone for good with the, the way the rules are structured now. But from an NFL standpoint, you have to you have to uh, pre, uh, have to respect it because it's great for them in a million different ways. It's, you get the, the star power out of quarterbacks. The guy, guys like Mahomes becomes or Goff becomes stars right away because they, you know, they can put up huge numbers and, and be that marquee guy right out of the gate. Uh, you have teams that look like super teams, like the Saints and Chiefs and Rams this year, and that builds the anticipation for the postseason. You want to see these teams run into each other and see, uh, you know, see that. 54 to 51 game, the NFC championship game that we might get. And, uh, I, offense has always had the most appeal. Uh, maybe not for the old schoolers who, who love those old time defenses, but uh, you know, for the man generation here, this is what football is. And uh, smart of the league in a lot of, in a lot of those different ways, uh, keeping players healthy as well with, with less physical contact. Uh, it's, it, 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 it's better in the long run for the league to be this for the league. John, um, you heard what Chad said. Are you, are you going to give us the old? You want to go back to Chuck Bednarik and the days, <laughs> days, days of days of your. I mean, listen. Did, did this ultimately, the NFL wants to sort of continue, and I think it will continue as obviously the most popular game in the U.S. People want scoring, particularly younger generation wants scoring, yeah. and they're getting that this year. And so, um, again, I'll sort of I'll make it open ended. What are your thoughts on the ratings um, increase this year as we are now in week 12? Well, I refuse to bring up the purple people leaders, okay? Because I think that might date myself. <laughs> um, look, the, the, the ratings are up, uh, I think, all told, what, 3%, 4%? Yep. And considering where television is as a whole right now, that increase is, is almost unbelievable. It's a, it, it, it's, it's really huge if, if you think about it. And just like there was more than one reason for why ratings dropped over the past you know, two years, there, there are probably 10 reasons why the ratings are, are up this, this season. I think a, a lot of the marquee games have been good and close. The offenses really work. I think there's really a lot to be said of, you know, the, the past two years really shed a lot of people that, that, wanted to boycott the NFL. And so now we're comparing these ratings with people that, that they, they've already left and they're not coming back. So we're, we're, it, it, it's a better comparison there. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the weather on the, on the particularly on the East coast has kept people inside. Generally it's been like, you know, uh, rainy or, or, or chilly and, and you know, that helps TV ratings. So there, there, there are a million reasons why, but what it does is just confirm that, uh, live sports and uh, and any kind of live entertainment is gold on television and it just shows to me when these rate when these rights fees come up in 2021 uh there's there's just gonna you know the nfl can back up the brink truck because there are, there are going to be a lot of people whose whole businesses are predicated on on having highly rated programming and the nfl is the highest of, of the highly rated programming I totally agree, and I think we're going to look back on some of the pieces where people were talking about: Is the NFL done? Is the NFL in trouble? Is the NFL not going to get a, uh, you know, a media rights increase? Our franchise value is going down, and when networks and/or digital players re-up, 
uh, you're, th- th- those those pieces are going to look pretty silly because I'm I'm with you, John. I think the powers that be in the NFL are actually setting it up over the next two years to really blow up the league in terms of offensive numbers, and I think they're going to get they're going to have more bidders than they know what to do with because it remains essentially the only place on television where you can still guarantee numbers from the old days. Um, John, I'll stick with you, and we'll do this quick, and then we'll end with sort of the Ohio State-Michigan broadcast. Not sort of. We will end with the Michigan-Ohio State broadcast. Um, what would you think of um, the news that Amazon has thrown itself into the bidding, John, for the 22 RSNs that Disney is going to be selling? Well, there's uh, since been a report over the weekend from Fox Business saying that they actually did not participate in the first round of bidding for all 22 but they oh, are very interested in uh, they're very interested in coming in to um to pick pick up the yes network which is sort of uh, for for sale on on its own uh in its own right um that that's been like everybody's looking at at at, at Amazon and seeing what their sports play is it doesn't make a ton of sense to me for Amazon to bid on 22 old media rsns that you know the, whose growth prospects are are, are not huge especially given that they have um, old media contracts that last for, you know, um, for some of them going on for, for, for a full decade. I mean, Amazon is about putting stuff on prime streaming stuff and, and very, very future and forward looking. And if that, they buy these 22, they're not going to be able to do that for, for, for a while. So that never quite made sense to me, but having them, you know, slip into New York, uh, get, get yes network and, and work off sort of the, you know, the, the biggest team in the biggest market in the United States makes a little bit more sense to me than, than having them actually get back in and, and be an RSN operator. Oh, that's all right. So with that, I mean, that is obviously a story that we're going to um, follow and the RSNs, uh, that RSN story is just going to be really, really interesting for individual local markets because it really has, it has a real impact on how people in certain markets, especially obviously the markets that have the Fox sports, um, the Fox Sports Networks right now watch sports, so that's and you know Richard, every we, we, we always we've been talking for years about ESPN losing subscribers and paying higher rights fees. Well, on a local level, that's every RSN out there. They're they're the most expensive channel on the on the dial, and they uh, the, their rights fees continue continually go up. So like everything everything that ESPN has been trying to to mitigate. And they they've had Disney behind them trying to do it. It's, it's these on the local level. It's all these RSN. So it's a you know there's a tough road to hoe for those guys. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, let's say if you're in like a Ohio, you know, like a Cincinnati or Cleveland, Fox Sports Ohio, I know has the Reds, the Cavs, the Blue Jack, and the Blue Jackets. Maybe they have. They might have other stuff too. I know they have those three. So I mean, that's a real issue in terms of you know if you're a fan of those teams, you know, you really you want to know ultimately where where the live rights of the games are are ultimately going to land and hopefully it's not going to be uh at a ridiculous cost to you heading forward especially you have to sort of buy from different parts so obviously this will be one we'll talk about as we head forward um all right finally chad this is where i want to end with today and that's the ohio state michigan broadcast um ohio state just pounded michigan and in the midst of that broadcast um fox sports was rightly criticized gus johnson and joe clad in particular for really overselling this um overcoming adversity storyline or narrative for urban meyer 
And again, my most down, Urban Meyer is one of the great coaches of all time. In my opinion, second best coach right now behind Nick Saban and maybe one of the five greatest college football coaches ever. So it's not, not nobody's questioning the guy's ability on the field. But it was, I, I felt like, Chad, almost embarrassing to hear the broadcasters yep. sort of sell this narrative when there are real people who actually have to overcome real stuff and not self-inflicted stuff, as was the case with Meyer. But when I wrote about this, I, I, I didn't do any kind of column on sort of like sort of point by point and Gus Johnson sort of saying this or Joel Klatt saying that. But this to me, and maybe you and John will disagree. I hope you don't, but maybe you will is just indicative of what college football broadcasters have been doing with coaches for so long. And it just goes into the mythology and the deifying of this position, leaders of men, um, you know, whatever sort of other nonsense you sort of can get, uh, you know, how, how deep it's sort of been for such a long time. But that's when I watched that stuff, I wasn't even like necessarily bothered by the specifics on Meyer, even though it was, pretty gross at times to hear it was just this is just part and parcel of the sport and it never changes and it never changes because of the relationships between the rights holder and the colleges because there is so much money to be had and it's a codependency and I guess just as a cynic like I don't think it's ever going to change and that's just how college football broadcasting is and it's just about mythologizing men oftentimes men who are Great coaches, yes, but not necessarily great beyond coaching. And so I just wanted to get your take on and John's take on all of that from what we saw this weekend. Yeah, you're right. I, I think the big big thing is that the coaches are the constant. You know, you could get uh, you know, Urban Meyer for 10 years at Florida and who knows how long at Ohio State. He's always the, the, the star of the broadcast because he's uh, the players come and go. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, Bosa this year leaving the team because he wants to prepare for the NFL. We may see more of that in the future, um, but you've always got the superstar coach and the accessibility to him. And, uh, you know, he's the thing that you can rely on to, to, uh, to, to be the, the star of your broadcast. And so they're, they're going to continue to do that. And uh, it's, it's definitely part of the culture of the sport. I think it's part of college basketball as well, but, you know, I'll tell you, watching that broadcast, it made me think of March Madness when you have, you know, if Duke plays North Carolina, you have the option of the Duke broadcast and the North Carolina option as well as, you know, the general broadcast. And that felt like it was targeted completely to Ohio State fans. It was, uh, it was staggering and made me think a little bit about Gus Johnson, who, you know, I remember him ever saying sort of a negative word about anything or anybody. Maybe I'm forgetting something, but uh, he seems uh, pretty quick to deify any coach, no matter what sport he's broadcasting. So it didn't surprise me that much from that regard. But, you know, up here in Boston, we, we've had the Aaron Hernandez thing, and we, the, the Globe did a huge project on that recently. And so we've been kind of digging a lot into the, the past of Urban Meyer. And, and from that perspective, not just the stuff that he's been uh, – involved with or, or ancillarily involved with at Ohio State that, that should really have damaged his reputation. But just the stuff that went on at Florida when guys like Hernandez and uh, Chris Rainey and, and uh, you know, Brandon Spikes and, and, and Mike Pouncey, the Pouncey brothers, and guys like that that uh, kind of ran ran wild on who was watching. As long as they were a good football player, it didn't really matter. I, I, I think this guy should be someone who, 
you know, tuning into the broadcast, you're watching a coach who has a lot of baggage, and yet uh, they kind of treat him like a martyr during that broadcast. And really felt aimed to, to Buckeyes fans for me. I guess that shouldn't have been a surprise with who the broadcasters were, but it was pretty hard to swallow as you were watching it. John, I don't know if you saw the broadcast, but, um, you know, again, I, I, it, I, I, and maybe I should have just sort of been more specific on their words on Meyer, but I saw, it, I, I, I saw it as something larger and something endemic and something systematic, but Chad is not wrong. And again, it was, it was a lot of sort of playing the notes for how rough it's been for Urban Meyer and how much he's had to overcome this year. Yeah, I didn't actually see the broadcast, um, but I look. Look, it's uh, you, you guys have both said it. It's uh, it's access. Gus Johnson has a relationship with Urban Meyer that goes back probably decades, right? I mean, just in terms of covering him, he he knows Urban Meyer, and he and he wanted to sort of give a personal shout out to somebody that I'm sure he considers. Uh, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he considered him a friend, you know. And 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 uh, and I I I think that. I certainly noticed on my Twitter feed, uh, people were almost immediately tweeting about it and, and, a, and a level of outrage. I can, I can completely understand the outrage around that. Uh, and I, I do think that's something that is, um, it is uh, so uh, usual in, in college sports more so than, than, than the pros. And it's just because of the, the college coaches, uh, they're, they're the constant, like Chad said, they're, they're there for a while and they, they, these broadcasters develop these allegiances and friendships with them that just go go for a long time. John, I want to ask you one question, and Chad, and this is what we'll finish up on, um, and it's just more sort of, of something philosophical. Is there is there any way that one? I don't even maybe objectivity or and independent maybe independence is the better word. I'm sort of trying to figure out how to phrase this, but is it possible? to work for a major college sports rights holder like an ESPN or a Fox and an NBC and to truly be truly be critical when it's warranted of the underbelly of the sport and the programs. I'm not talking about this guy missed the coverage or I'm not talking about this coach uh, didn't do a good job of recruiting. I'm talking about real in-depth discussion on either a studio show or a broadcast about kids who are, let's say, are filtered to a certain major because they just want to keep kids eligible, or the nexus between sexual assault and athletics in college. I basically don't think you could keep your one. I'm not sure you'd ever be put in that position. And two, I think if you started talking about that, I think I think you would not be back. I think the athletic departments would complain, and I think you'd be gone. Do you think, John, it is even possible for a person to exist? I'm talking about specifically for a rights holder. They obviously exist elsewhere. But could you could that broadcaster exist for a rights holder of college sports? Well, I mean, so what is the role of the the booth is to describe what's what's happening on the field by and large, and and, and also to put some of the things that are happening on, on field in context. I think that, that you know, uh, so if you were to get a hardcore journalist in the booth to sort of you know to talk about that, uh, I can tell you that. There, not one sports media company would would allow that person in there for 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 any any longer than a half probably uh, before they come out. Uh, I think I, I don't think anybody views the broadcast booth at any at, at any any level as being sort of like uh, a journalistic outpost for them as much as it okay. Is All right, fair enough. Going on, 
Chad, what about the studio show then? I think that I, John, I agree with you. Whether I like it or not, I agree with you. I think that's realistic. But what about the studio show, Chad? Where for years we used to hear me, people like me, you, and John who cover this stuff. That that that's the 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 broadcast is sort of sacrosanct to the game, and the studio show is where we handle all these tougher issues. Uh, you can do it, but it would have to be a, a superstar on the level of Charles Barkley, who was already established, who hmm. you know built their name and reputation from just being great in the studio and having a huge personality in the studio and then eventually taking on that uh, approach of uh, acknowledging and, and uh, addressing the, the, you know, the terrible things that go on in college sports and, as you put it, the underbelly. Uh, but I don't think you could just hire some guy who you think is going to be a good broadcaster or has a little bit of a reputation now and put him in there and expect them to uh, – you know, attack the cash cow as it is. Uh, it would it, t- it would take a really extraordinary talent with, um, you know, remarkable backing from uh, from the company. And I, I have there's, there's no one out there like that that I could think of right now who's capable of doing that. Unfortunately. Yeah, you'd almost have to have more juice than your network or your or the sport, yeah. and I don't think that can happen. John, is there anything else you wanted to add, or or did, did I, were you about to say something? No, no, no. I thought Chad pretty much said what I was going to say. All right. Well, listen, uh, guys, uh, again, this is a very good discussion. Uh, I appreciate that uh, very much. I kept you guys under an hour, which was my which was my goal. And uh, we'll have you back. Now, the only thing I'm really concerned about is, uh, you know, how quickly Chad will hear from ESPN on the football <laughs> NFL PR. About uh, this actually, comments. Already, this comments Chad, I do have a question. Friday. Have you heard from them? Have Yeah, actually, have it's not. a good question, John. You have not. Okay. No Bill Hoffmeimer, no, Chris LaPlaca like call? We had a little back and forth last week, but that was before the column went up. So uh, I don't know. Maybe they're devising uh, their plan. Yeah. I haven't heard from LaPlaca in a long time, John. Is he still on vacation in Italy, or is he back actually working now <laughs> handling ESPN public relations? Chris LaPlaca is the hardest working man in, in uh, sports PR. I, he, he's back in the States as far as I know. Wow. By the way, John, uh, uh, Chad, do you always realize that John likes to, like, at the end, he's like Sugar Ray Leonard used to do. You sort of win the round at the end. So John will always <laughs> praise PR at the end of the broadcast so he can pick up something down the road that me and you will, uh, you know, will have to be chasing uh, chasing his lead. Um, well, I, I met LaPlaca at the World Series, and he seemed uh, seemed like a very nice man. So I'm one up on John now. Nice. Oh, right, man. Everybody's praising LaPlaca. <laughs> I have to depend on Andrew Fickbarrissey now, so that's uh, that, that's okay. <laughs> Is Terry Hines still hiding Eric Shanks in a witness protection program? I wonder if he'll be coming out anytime soon. <laughs> All right, well, I apologize for this. The seven. Uh, the I apologize for the three minutes of ridiculous inside baseball, and the four <laughs> PR people who listen will enjoy it. All right, John O'Rand is the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and Journal. Chad Finn is the sports media reporter for the Boston Globe. You can check out uh, their work uh, as well as um, their stuff on Twitter. I'm going to keep these guys on as we sort of do our end here. Um, you can um, you can uh, listen to previous editions of this podcast. That's easy for me to say. Right before Chad and John was Rebecca Lobo and LaChina Robinson with a in-depth discussion on how women's college basketball is covered in this country. Prior to that, Kirk Minahan of, uh, of the, uh, and Chad knows him very well, Boston Sports Talk fame about uh, uh, his new job as well as discussing mental health publicly. Prior to that, Troy Aikman, Kate Abdow, Rachel Nichols, Candace Parker, Jamel Hill, 
Renee Young. And if you're interested in this kind of content, please go to the Sports Media Richard Deitch podcast page. Uh, leave us a review and sign up. All right, for John, for Chad, for my producer, Lou Pellegrino, and for everybody at Cadence 13, this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.